it's excellent drama. Although I will say that I find it very hard to take people like d pumping their fists and contorting their faces into kind of streams whilst wearing uh, iron slats and holding golf sticks. Very difficult to take seriously. That's why I think the Ryder Cup sticks out because it was it's very much a real person's thing in terms of emotion mm. but golf is not a real person's thing. Did you find do you find all the sort of the slightly bantery crowds quite annoying? They get in the no, whole that's thing. That's supposed to that's is, well, is, is, very that's American. Just reached that. peak annoyance now. But that's that's an American that started in America. Yeah, yeah, but it was the, the, it the, was, the, the it crown was chanting right and trying to be creative and things is a very European or particularly yeah. British thing, I think. Well, they're not like being taking creative, a football chant and putting other words to it. They're adapting football chants for golfers. I just it, the, that strikes me as being slightly an uneasy marriage. Well, I don't know. I suppose it, it like, shows uh, that Jason and Kylie and neighbours. <laughs> I I was I very much supported that. Why was that uneasy? Just of the dramas inherent in the storylines, obviously. They're, not that they were... But, they but were. you didn't stop you wanting them no, to I be together. No, I wanted them to be together in more than anything, but they. It was an une all marriages in Neighbours were uneasy because that's where the drama comes from. The other Even Carl and Susan. The other really? Great thing. Would you say Carl and Susan? Well, Carl and Susan was because... They had um, their ups and downs. They weren't their infidelities within that... I believe there were. I can we, there can were. you libel fictional characters? I, I don't know. I met a DJ, as in a person who is a disc jockey, okay. called Carl Kennedy the Did other you? day. Yeah, completely different. He's going to have a. <laughs> if he if he reaches a certain level of fame, he will have brand identity problems. Carl Kennedy was a double K. I seem to remember. This was. guy was a CK. So Not a CC. Already, he's okay. You want to be CC? Well, he's going to get into problems with Calvin Klein then. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's true. DJ CK, I think, is what will have to be. Anyway, I'm meant to be telling you about breakfast. Yes, that was that was always going to be the conversation. I'm a little bit upset about your thoughts about Jason and Kylie. I thought that was forever. No, I I, I supported Angry Anderson them. Anderson told us it was forever. I supported them, but they had their their <laughs> difficulties during the marriage. There's no denying that. Well, that's true. I think I think my first ever crush was on Kylie Minogue. And because I was like six years old, that didn't manifest itself in a sexual manner. It manifested itself in a projection manner, which is I wanted to be Jason. But, oh, at, at what point yeah, did you it, don't, yeah. it... It must have projected itself in a, a sexual manner at some <laughs> no. point, though. I mean, just try and swallow no, the no, words. No, no. <laughs> Let's just... We're, we're, we're being upfront about Kylie we're, now. We're all grown-ups. We've... we've this is maybe a measure of how long that we've been doing this podcast for too long. That we've I come think back we've round all, to Kylie again. No, have we not already discussed <laughs> childhood crushes on Australian soap stars? We might have done. I'm sure we've done that. That my, might be my fault. My infatuation with Rebecca Elmer Lodley. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, that's that. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, breakfast. I hate How long fans. have we been going, Steve? I need to start a stopwatch. Uh, we've been going for 2.45. 2.45. So if it doesn't say 2.45 on everybody's favourite podcast provider, you know that what's come before this has been utter rubbish. Breakfast. <laughs> yes. I loathe the fact that we have been conditioned socially to only eat boring food at breakfast. No one likes cere the cereals that are available. No one, no one sits, wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, I really want, really want a bowl of sort of flowery, oaty muesli. Have you not discovered Jordan's fruit and nut granola at they're breakfast yet? Than, they're better than most granolas, just as there are cereals that I quite like, your, your shredded wheat, rye and quinoa. They're, that's quite a nice cereal. But they are inherent. Just making stuff up. No. What is that? That's it's a middle class cereal. <laughs> it's incredibly Blimey. middle class. So much so. But I don't do even, that now, even Steve and I haven't heard of it. Breakfast <laughs> cereals didn't exist. It's not like it, mankind was, was created. But hang on, I, I don't think that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like 6,400 years ago when the world started <laughs> that, um, that we all ate cornflakes. Cornflakes were invented in the 1890s, interestingly, I believe, by 
Kellogg, who was a religious zealot of some sort. Is that right? And he felt that eating healthily in the morning might help stave men off the perils of onanism. Why? That's why oh, cornflakes exist. Is that right? Yeah. Well, in that case, why did he create cornflakes? Well, exactly. But <laughs> I just don't understand why, why there's this sort of thing. If you say to somebody, I would like, what do you want for breakfast? A lasagna. They'll look at you like you're a complete weirdo. But why? Maybe maybe I want a lasagna in the morning. In the Far East... Well, I was going to say that all, all countries, apart from what? No, not even Western Europe. I, m- I might suggest that pretty much all countries, apart from the UK and America, even America. It's the Anglophone world yeah. tends to have this kind of cereal and toast approach to breakfast. Even in Italy, they have cake for breakfast. It's the best time to eat cake. You can burn it off during the day. Burn it off. Eat cake. Wait, in c- Central and Eastern Europe, you've got meats and cheeses. Yeah. Then you've on got bread, um, still bread, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's savoury. Yeah, and then yeah, in Southeast Asia, you've got rice. I remember and in Tokyo at, having at lunch. You'll have rice, and then also at dinner you'll have rice. In Tokyo, I had miso soup and some sort of stir-fried fish for breakfast every day. It was you, delicious. You have heard of the concept of a full English. Yeah, but we, you can't. You can't, do, you can't eat cook the, breakfast. You can't eat that every day. Can you a full English? We could give it a go. You'd be you'd die young. Die young and fat. Yeah. My 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 dad had a, a fried egg, fried bread, and bacon for the first sixty five years of his life. Well, every pretty day, much every single day. It's a, it's a wonder there was a sixty sixth. And uh, it, it goes to show how much energy he burnt off by doing lots of household chores and being a general man about the house and garden. But also, it took him sixty five years for the doctor to say. Cholesterol levels a little high. Yeah, you although I want to reduce that. Cholesterol is a whole other thing. Does my mum, a GP, does not believe in cholesterol, which is which is I well, believe sixty five years. Nor did my not, dad. <laughs> not a. Um, she believes it exists. She just doesn't care about it. The, is she slightly off message with most general practitioners? I believe though? she is what would be referred to as a quack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> really pleased that the uh, the air quotes came out for quack. Yes, they have. Anybody said that literally? Yeah. So if I was to ask you to go on one side of the important debate between which you uh, hate the most, breakfast or Brexit? No, I don't hate breakfast. You've got to eat when you wake up. I just hate the tyranny. Of cereal. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. We've already done a lot of food and we actually have more food to discuss because Rory has provided us with oven bottom muffins. Let's make this sound grand. Oven bottom muffins with a selection of um, innards. I made you sandwiches. Yes, they're yeah. called sandwiches. Um, I'm very grateful for my beef coleslaw and salad sandwich, which offended Rory. Uh, Steve had a beef sandwich, which offended me. And Rory had two sandwiches, which were? One was beef, because there was a slice left, and one was cheese. And did you enjoy your own sandwiches? I did, but I was slightly rueful because Steve's beef sandwich is the most boring thing anyone's ever eaten. You were offended by it. I wasn't offended by it. I was just troubled well, by it. I was offended by it. I wasn't even sure whether he wanted and then of course, spread on I, it. There's no lubrication, but as soon as you ask for spread, he's like, of course. I, yeah. I, I don't understand. Where well, I, is the where, what, where's the edges up. of Wait, lubrication? I, I didn't know that there was rocket available to add to the sandwich uh, until I was... Because ha- I got mine delivered first. You did. And I was halfway through mine before Hughes arrived with the rocket accompaniment. I, I would have quite gladly have had that inserted. I forgot there was rocket in the fridge. There was rocket and it was sensational, Steve. You should really try it. Uh, joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Steve Wyeth, who is not in Portugal. Rory Smith, who is not in Portugal. Uh, we are without Andy Hinchcliffe, who is not here because he is in Portugal. But... We will be receiving a telephonic soccer story from him later in the show. 
Um, you can get in touch with the show, of course, and we are very grateful for everybody who has done so via at setpiecemenu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also uh, have a conversation with us on Facebook and each other. Just search set piece menu. Um, you're asked about 11 suggestions continue to come in, for which we are incredibly grateful. We are having a grudge match with many stern refereeing talkings to between an Atavelt House 11 and an Atavelt Bag 11. Uh, please do continue uh, to suggest who might be in either team. We've been reminded that Kevin Muscat might need to be included. I always thought of yeah. him as a not very good Australian Roy Keane um, who would dive in when the weather wasn't wet and you couldn't slide tackle from 14 yards away. Um, but his ugly challenges make me think that he might be in the bag 11 potentially. Yeah, I would, I would say he was a bag, yeah. There was nothing sly about Kevin Muscat. No. Um, Kevin Davis, for another Kevin, Ooh, was yeah. suggested with the odd um, the odd tweak with the elbow. Nice somebody's man, nose. Davis. Lovely guy, very intelligent He's guy. He's very upfront about it, so I put him in the house category yeah. just for being yeah, forthcoming with his intentions. Could potentially be on the bench for the house because uh, strikers we are yeah. we have so many strikers and an impact substitute in the second half yes an impact on somebody else's yeah, yeah. nose um, this also uh, comes in um, from Alan Shepard do you remember that uh, not the astronaut um, but our old friend who suggested a topic uh, a while back a couple of nominations for the defenders a hotly contested position in the Atavelt 11s says Alan Jan Vertonghen has always struck me really? even before the incident with Firmino's eye you may all remember as a sly Atavelt ah but that, the eye thing wasn't on purpose well he says it was a sly Atavelding a sly gouging um, he is particularly infuriating, says Alan, of Jan, uh, to watch, as he's clearly a good defender and can time tackles cleanly, but loves to leave his foot in on challenges and indeed gouge eyes, he says, libelously. I don't, I don't know if you do it once, whether it's fair to say he loves to gouge <laughs> eyes. If he'd done that in Rugby Union, it'd have been out for six weeks, mind. At if he'd done that in Rugby Union, there would have been a big piece about how Rugby Union should show football how to behave. Uh, I'd also like to nominate Slaven Bilic, says Alan, purely for his role in getting Laurent Blanc sent off in the 1998 World Cup uh, semi-final. He says finally. The semi-final. A similar case could be made for Rivaldo to bring some Atavelding flair to the team, thanks to the Hakan Unsal incident. I wonder if we mentioned Rivaldo actually when we were talking about people who uh, dived to the extent of great showmanship um, in an attempt to send people off. I don't, mm, I'm, I'm a bit uneasy about Rivaldo. I, one swallow doesn't make a summer. Fair enough. Well, I don't know if you've heard that phrase. Before. I have not heard that, but of course I've heard that phrase. Uh, it. Um, Alan says, although, is it Atavelding if it's as bad as that was? No. Um, finally, for a no-nonsense practitioner of filth, I'd like to nominate Andy Todd. Decent enough defender for Blackburn, but as a fan, I was pretty embarrassed by the level of violence he was capable of. <laughs> Particularly notable was the forearm smash into Robin Van Persie's face in an FA Cup semi-final in 2005. Was Andy Todd Collins' son? Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. Um, and played for both, both Bolton and yes, Blackburn. Yes, he did play for Bolton as well, yeah. Uh, and also, Rory's boss has got in touch. Oh, Andy. Uh, hello, Andy. Um, not only has he been tweeting uh, at Seppi's menu furiously, um, so thank you for that. He's never furious, Andy. But can he tweet furiously, even though, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer? That's true. I think I might have got quite close to infuriating him. You're trying to upset my boss, that's great. I wasn't Thanks. trying to, I just didn't realise how passionately he felt about the Hartford Whalers. Oh. As I was lusting after the reissued version of the now defunct NHL franchise's uniform, which looked very mint when I saw a picture of it that Andy had retweeted on Twitter and demanded he sent us four immediately. That ah. did not go down quite no. as well as I There's only two things that really upset Andy Das. One is one is the fate of the Hartford Whalers and the other is uh, this weird thing they do in America with kickoff times. Yes, where which he's quite right about. Well, he's perfectly right, but it's, it's, it's really alien to, an in, to a British audience anyway, because here... In Britain, 
even before Brexit, they, <laughs> it might change. If a game kicks off at 7.45, it might say in the TV listings that the programme starts at 7.30 or whatever, but it will always say kick off 7.45. Everything is listed 7.45, and the games in Europe kick off when they're meant to kick off. But in the States, that does not appear to happen, and they'll, sort of, they'll kick games off at 6.04. It's ridiculous. But the, but the TV listings will say, oh, you know, game starts at 5.30. No, it doesn't. Well, so so the the kickoff time as advertised is like more or less the, the nearest fifteen minutes. Of I think the kickoff time as the advertised time is in, in from a TV. And Andy will have to let us know what what happens if you go into a game. But the advertised time is the the only time you know is what time the program starts. The kickoff actually just randomly occurs at some point. For example, um, one p.m. Eastern time NFL kickoffs are anywhere between one and five past. That's insane. Well, I think they've got to fit some. Well, pomp and circumstance in. I think the entire country needs to take a long, hard look at itself. By the way, on the NHL, Rory Burgess's email to say, um, Hello all, forgive me if this has already been mentioned and or overly obvious, but would uh, not the most on-brand CCM NHL t-shirt of Set Piece Menu be exclusively those of the Buffalo Sabres? Oh yeah, good So, um, yeah, Steve, if you could just pop point. back uh, to America and get us some of that. That's I fine. don't mind doing Are so. Are we not making any headway with our tie-in deal with CCM? Well, that is completely... Uh, Steve is currently building a house, but apart from that, you might have time to do it. I am spinning quite a few plates at the moment, <laughs> Hugh, but, you know, I'll see what I can do with How our... How does he tr- spin plates where you've got nowhere to put the plates? Because he's not got a kitchen. Um, so Andy Dast said this, uh, between all the Atavelts and now the Indonesian poop coffee, which we enjoyed last week, the Luwak coffee, have you considered rebranding as shit piece menu? <laughs> Related, please tell Roy that NYT style is the shit house Sergio Ramos if he ever uh, needs to include that in any of his copy uh, thank you Andy as ever uh, setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address at setpiecemenu on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu and one uh, that's come in a little bit more recently from Matt the unused substitute on on Twitter who has uh, asked a question regarding Carl Beckerman and has posed whether we could arbitrate whether he is a house or a bag I quite like the idea that uh, we collectively, as set piece menu, might get to have the final say on such matters. Which, we are the arbiters. Which player? Kyle Beckerman, an all-time great American oh, soccer yeah. wind-up merchant, uh, which was it, it was part of a, a, a Twitter th- thread, which Matt, the unused substitute, has shunted in our direction. I think yeah, Beckerman, he may have been in the 2014 World Cup squad. Shall we, uh, I'm shall not we fami- research I'm not with his work. and arbitrate and divulge? How about that? Yeah. Um, our subject this week comes in the form of a question. Is it legitimate to support any club other than your local or inherited one? Uh, there are those who, from their lofty position on Earth's highest of high moral grounds, will tell you that it isn't. I imagine that some of those people live in Tiverton and support Tiverton Town and have a very fulfilling life doing so. Uh, but there are also those who believe that having skin in a bigger game brings an opportunity to live their best life, to coin a phrase that the youth like to say. You may eschew the Tiverton temptation and simply plump for Manchester United or Liverpool, but does that mean that you're not a real fan? With the advent of European football on our TV screens and the increasing awareness we have of big teams and star players, maybe your supporting net is cast even wider. Do you want Barcelona to win on a Saturday, even more than Tiverton Town in the big game against Hartley Wintney? And if you do, can you still retain the self-esteem and ability to sleep at night of a legitimate fan? Is it legitimate to support any other club than your local or inherited one? We start this with um, some disclosures. Strictly speaking, by this measure, I should support Eastleigh. Steve should be a fan of what, Fleet Town? 
I've been or to see Fleet Town Fleet, on Fleet more Town. than one occasion, yes. And Rory should support the closest to where you grew up? Uh, either Weatherby Athletic or Harrod at Town or Harrod at Railway. Okay, so I'm you've got sure. three. Well, that's, I don't that's know, just well, Weatherby Athletic, I don't, I don't know if they play in a lead where you go and watch them. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just like, it's a Saturday lead team. It's not a Sunday lead team. Would you like to be at Harrogate Town? Well, I've got to. I've got to too. <laughs> of, what, of whatever the badge is. Where? Uh, my back. <laughs> Massive, great big badge of Harrogate Town. I'm going to just make no, sure... You don't know what the badge is. You've never actually seen it. Peering <laughs> yeah. over your shoulder going, is it a stag or a unicorn? Um, but the fact is, we don't support any of those teams, honestly. And that's all we're going to say about our own teams. Uh, to firstly, remain mysteriously impartial, but also to lay bare our lack of moral authority in this discussion. Uh, we merely mean to prompt and probably also poke a bear or two. Um, and bear, of course, is the main constituent of the Harrogate Town badge. Um, so is it legitimate to support any other club uh, than your local or inherited one? This was a question posed literally verbatim by Rory on our WhatsApp group. So Chinch obviously had a lot to contribute at that moment. Well, I think we know, we, we know his thoughts. The reason we're talking about this without Chinch is that Chinch has no thoughts on anything like this. So, no. um, so Rory, what, what prompted that uh, to come to your mind? I can't remember, <laughs> Hugh. Uh, it was, Were you distracted by Harrogate Town? I was just I was so busy <laughs> getting, getting Harrogate Town squad tattooed on my calf. that <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember what it was. Uh, no, I'm, I, th- this, it, w- it will have come about by hearing someone saying we support our local team or in some way glorifying the idea that you, you should uh, support your local side and that if you don't, you are in some way, as you alluded to, lesser. Which is, as someone who, who doesn't support Harrogate Town, has always annoyed me a little bit because I, I would say that it's probably maybe not quite as frequent, but certainly not far off as frequent that you support the team that your mum or dad supports, or an uncle or an auntie, or whoever the person who kind of introduces you to football is. You, an older brother or sister, or you know a cousin or whatever, you're likely to pick up their affiliation almost as much as you are to um, to pick up the affiliation to the fact that there is a team nearby. Does nearby is is a relative thing anyway, isn't it? You know, it, it could be that it's 30 miles away because the, the, the entire country does not live right by a football stadium. It could be that there is a team just around the corner that you cannot afford to go and see much more frequently. Well, in, in the, the Tiverton Town example, I mean, you wouldn't support Barnstaple. It's no. just slightly too far away. I was going to say, I do think that... I'm aware, I'm aware that we have a certain constituency of American listeners, and I think it's very important that, as British people, we don't fall into this trap of presenting our country as some sort of backward, quaint, sort of 17th century theme Hugh park. Hugh Grant movie. And I'm concerned that you're talking about Barnstaple and Hampney Whitney. I don't think that Hampney. helps, or whatever it was. Hartley Whitney. Hartley Whitney. I don't Hartley think that Whitney. It's very close to where Steve grew up, by the way. It's very. Adjacent, the adjacent town to where I grew up, and they are definitely not in the same league as Tiverton. Mm. I can assure you of that. They are in the same league as they Tiverton. They are not in the same league. Really? Yes, they are in. But they're separated by like more than 50 miles, which at that level, no team travels. Uh, no, they are in the Southern Premier League Division South. <laughs> not for long. <laughs> this is the fleet town in Steve yeah, coming, yeah, out coming out, out yeah. it, nobody's going to like Hartley nobody say anything nice about Hartley Whitney so I think it's always surprised me that this, that this kind of you have to support your local team support, supporting your local team is morally better is such a sort of commonplace when we all know people who support the team their mum or dad supports or we are the people who support the team their mum or dad supports and I, in my case I support the team that my half sister supported that's there's a that's a, a confession that I when I was growing up, uh, my a 
Mary, my dad's daughter by his first marriage, lived with us, um, with her dad and her stepmom, my mum, and she supported a team, and she was the person who bought me my first shirt, and she was the person who went to play football in the garden with me, and she taught me about football. So I supported the team, the same team as she did as I was a kid. Uh, my mum had so little interest that when, a, late in, a couple of years later at Christmas, I said I wanted a, a football shirt, she bought me the shirt of that team's fiercest rival because <laughs> she didn't realise that there was a difference. You're quite, because I wondered whether you wanted to get something off your chest today, because you're quite an interesting case study in this, having grown up near a city mm-hmm. with a ferocious football team and the support that accompanies it, but supporting a team from another Mm-hmm. city with a huge following and fan base a very sort of passionate and deep rooted history within within their geography Barnstable. so that, <laughs> that strikes me, that strikes me as quite quite unusual that you can you can grow up in in surely with the influence of one big club around you but follow it yeah. one from a from a different well, conurbation. Mary's my answer, basically that yeah that it was I am someone who inherited a team i I, I didn't support a team. My, my nearest proper team, which is Leeds, obviously, I didn't support Leeds because the because I was presented with a team to support by my family, and it it was never given a choice. And to be honest, with Ed, I'm not sure Ed will necessarily be given a choice. Obviously, he's he's his own being; he can do what he likes. If he doesn't want to talk to his dad anymore, that's not a problem. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> that's, the, his, that's his own decision. He's not even one. Um, but he, yeah, you. I don't know. I I, I wasn't. Well, I don't know if it's, if it's even though I wasn't given a choice. It's just that that's what happened. If you get given a shirt by somebody and you're you're told we cheer for this team, then you do, and that's it's, how you start supporting a club. It's, but it's, I don't think I'm particularly the geography of it. You're right; it's probably slightly rare. You're but, not unique. No, not at all by any stretch of we the imagination. Rub it in. But <laughs> it just strikes that that that's that in in many ways is is the most fascinating aspect of supporting a team that isn't your local I was team. Say of your personality. <laughs> no, no. You really, are, you really are an incredibly intriguing human. No, I, 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 that's that's a relatively short list, but that's not on there. Because I, it, it always, I find it really unusual that people from London support clubs from the northwest that they have no mm. f- family association to. But it isn't unusual to me that football fans in Ireland would support Manchester United or Liverpool because, of course, they don't have a top flight football club on their doorstep. There's also no. a religious aspect to that. We, of course we, there is. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. we need to put a pin in what Steve just said. That's a really important point. It's something that uh, was re- I was reminded of earlier today in an interview with uh, Jose Bartomeu, the president of Barcelona. So let's. I want to come back to that. That's a really important factor, that kind of Irish model. But I think the thing that, that has always occurred to me is that yeah, you could support your local team. That's fine. You could support your family team. I think most fans would agree that that's that's legitimate. If your mum or dad supports a team and you do, then fair enough. But I think what's really important is that the way kids are being exposed to football now is changing so much that those two are not the only frequent reasons for supporting a team anymore. I suspect 20, 30 years ago when we were growing up, they were probably your two main choices. You'd either support your local team, your family team, or the rivals of your family team or local team purely to be obstructive. And I suspect there's a lot of people like that. Yeah, yeah. There, are, there are those things that um, are anomalous, like, for example, um, those who were at an impressionable age when the Munich air disaster happened mm-hmm. will have become Manchester United fans. Um, those slightly younger who might have been around or impressionable at the time of Hillsborough um, might 
have a soft spot for Liverpool because mm-hmm. they wanted to see those two clubs come out come out of uh, very difficult times the better and so they will do that I know my dad who would have been 11 when when the Munich air disaster happened has always had a soft he wouldn't, wouldn't call himself a fan but he's have, had a soft spot in a vacuum where he didn't have a team um, for Manchester United but he's, not, that, he's not passed that down because it was a personal thing for him at that age and it doesn't time. really have an inheritance aspect to my it. dad is a Leicester fan who also has a soft spot for Manchester United purely because of Munich. And I think that that's true of an entire generation. But see, that that is a, a soft spot for, though, obviously, yeah, different, that becomes, yeah. gets handed down perhaps through the generations as fandom. You'd have mm. developed an affinity to and sympathy for Manchester United in the aftermath of Munich. You might not necessarily have switched your loyalty from the club you supported previously to that, but your interest in their story and their developing history maybe would have then filtered down to... To, the, to your children and or, or other family members in the aftermath. I hadn't thought of that, but that's probably true. I wonder, if, or if your if your family is better disposed to if you support a smaller team. So if you support Torquay or Exeter or somewhat very Devon related, this podcast. If you're in Devon <laughs> and you support Torquay or Exeter, and you're you are probably going to pick a team in the Premier League to to follow. I think that's probably understandable because that's the football that's going to be on TV. It's also the best football that you're well Champions League, Premier League. Elite football. You're that, that was to my watch point about football. skin in a bigger game. Yeah, you want to to have uh, a relationship with a team that is going to give you the highs and lows that you experience with more people. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate if you're an extra talkie or Plymouth fan. We we both know from the BBC a Plymouth fan. He's called Drew. He's very very much contributed to our Facebook page, and I recommend everybody goes to at least see what Drew's written. Um, but he he will follow them incredibly closely, and he has yes emotional highs and emotional lows. But you can understand that that is a smaller catchment area. If you would like to experience it with a larger catchment area, that's why quite a lot of um, fans of smaller teams tend to follow England very religiously. But there is a middle ground where you want to follow somebody who has the aspirations of potentially winning the league or even just being in the Premier League and playing against these these teams. So you can understand that aspect of having a smaller team by reputation and a larger team by reputation. Yep. But if you do do that, does that make you less of a legitimate fan of either your hometown team or the team that you are following in the Premier League? Should it be sniffed at or is that an understandable case to make? I would, I would have said that in the in the kind of the self-imposed, self-written, endlessly flexible laws of football fandom, it does make you, in the eyes of whoever decides these things, it does seem to make you somehow lesser if you, you support anyone and anyone. That's that's yeah. that's a bad thing. That's not what we, we think of fandom as being somewhere, somewhere between like a religion and a disease, that you once you've got it, that's it. That's the only one you can have, and it's in some way heretical to, to dilute it. Um, but I, I think, especially as we, as you, especially as football becomes much more centralised and, and all you're exposed to, whether that's in the media or on TV or whatever, is elite football. It's understandable, as Hugh says, that that is that people will pick a team, if not to support quite as passionately as you might support your one true love, then certainly a team that makes you kind of that gives you something to watch match of the day for, basically. And there are many different ways to support. A football team, of course, and and often fans have rival rivalries within their own club as to the nature of your support. Even 
coming down to which part of the ground you sit or stand in as to you whether you are a true legitimate supporter of that team. Look, if you grow up in Manchester and have always had access to tickets to go and see Manchester United, then there is no questioning your loyalty to the club or the reason for which you support them. Some of those fans might sneer at the idea of somebody from Cambridgeshire or Somerset or Devon travelling up and down to watch Manchester United. But if they don't have a top flight league side on their doorstep, then you can kind of see why they may have that would have been that gravitational pull. Perhaps the harder thing to to reconcile yourself with is why somebody from North London with with no strict association to Manchester might decide they're going to support Manchester United rather than Arsenal or Tottenham, which would seem like they're more logical choices. But as football fans, we need to accept that the way that we support our football club isn't the only way that you go about following a team. I have inherited the support of my team from my dad and he did from his dad and I've passed it on to to my kids thinking, do you know what? I've had 40 years of pain and suffering. There's no way you're going to get away with it just because you're growing up in Manchester (laughs) and have some much more wonderful choices available to you. We're, We're in it all together now, boys. So sorry about that. You can you can try switching your allegiance. Right, so it's not sadism. Steve, Steve Wyatt's book on parenting is out. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> March 2019. Make them suffer. Thank, thank, thankfully, so far it seems to have stuck without too many complaints. Some, they, some, some of those some of those people in Cambridge, for example, just as a place you picked out. I was just trying to get away from the southwest. Well, uh, yeah, but <laughs> Cambridge is not in Devon for all our international listeners. But the um, that it might be because they their father or their mother or their family used to live in Manchester and they've moved they or they yet. used to live there and they moved. So there are exam- uh, yeah, examples but, but of... This, I was using yes, the extremities. Yes, and I just wanted to make that clear because I don't want people shouting at their podcast provider, um, their iPod. They still have iPods? No. Um, saying, oh no, but my, my dad well, no, no, you, I, you know, worked in the mills in Rochdale. The they, 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 iPods an still iPod. An actual iPod. Were they listening in 2006? He had an iPhone, a MacBook and an iPod. That is That is... Really going for a one brand and sticking with it. Kind of the, I didn't get a good. I didn't get a look at his watch, so I can't, well, I think I can't, I can't, the, say, can't say he had the, full the producer. Set. The there are obviously there will there will obviously be people in Lincolnshire and Cambridge and wherever any of the cabbage producing counties <laughs> that that support. Is Devon not big on cabbage. Support Manchester United. I don't think so. No. no. Your Brassica are in are in the fans. The um the that support Manchester United because their their mum is from Manchester or their grand their grandma or granddad was from Manchester. But there are lots of people, and we we all know people like that. And I think we are non. I think it's fairly clear from our tone that we're not judging them. We, I don't know about you two, but I've, <laughs> I'm certainly on the, the opposite side to this. To say, no, you've got to support your local team. I think that's a really reductive argument. But there will be plenty of people who who have started supporting Man United as kids because they used to win stuff. For kids like mm-hmm. supporting a winning team. That's why the teams that win a lot historically have more fans, basically. Before I settled on my actual team, I when I was like four and five, um, I did exactly that. You I, dabbled with other teams <laughs> before settling. I'm really upset about that. You had your thing about Liverpool, points. didn't you? I, I had like six months of Spurs, six months of Liverpool, depending on who had got to the cup final or who had done well at that point. And I think for my sixth birthday, I got a, I got a, um, a card signed by the Liverpool team. Nice. Um, I was particularly uh, proud of Peter Beardsley because I thought he was Andy Hinchcliffe. Um, but but the, yeah, and that I was completely made up of that. I had an um, an old candy kit, mm-hmm. Liverpool, but that, that was when I was like six. And then I began to develop kind of thoughts about who I should support, why I should support them. And because I was in a vacuum because I didn't have any inherited club. So I 
I think that it was a slightly more organic way of doing it. You're right about the televisual aspect of things. It can be organic because you are watching something that involves clubs that you don't already have a link to because you've not been told to support them or they're not necessarily from your neck of the woods. So you can watch it and just rely on your instincts and your emotions to tell you who you want to win, who you like. And that that is just as legitimate as supporting any team for any reason that we consider to be traditional because you are identifying with those people, whether it's star names or whether it's just non-star names. It doesn't have to be a Premier League club. It doesn't have to be a big Premier League club. But you could watch Spanish football and love Leganes if you want to because you are following a storyline. So there are completely organic, legitimate ways to start to follow a club that become your club for life that have got nothing to do with any of those things that are set up as being traditionally legitimate. Before you make a genuinely, I'm sure, interesting point, are you not feeling a little bit betrayed by the fact that you've discovered something about Hugh's character and loyalty maybe, what, 10, 15 years too late? How do you mean? Well, the, he was so so wavering with his choice of team in his, I've never in his met early a, life. I've never met a man who wavers about more stuff in, in my entire time on this planet. Just I, feel like, I, think you should have, I think you should be more upfront with people about this earlier on in your relationship with I, them. I, I, with my friend Anthony Rhodes, we wrote a storybook um, for school, um, several chapters long, several, um, which detailed an incredibly exciting football match between Spurs and Liverpool um, because we liked both teams um, and we decided in the end that Spurs would win 6-5. That sounds like a good game. Because we liked Spurs just a little bit uh, more. This was when I was about five. What year are we talking then? So that would have been uh, 1984, 85, that sort of time. Well, Spurs only good then. Um, they must have been good enough for me to... Um, well, they won the cup in 81. 81. Um, they must have been good enough for me to, to hod- notice. Was that the Hoddle team? Hoddle, when did Hoddle join Spurs? Yes, he would have been at Spurs yeah. at that time, wouldn't he? Um, but the, by the age of six, uh, six and a half, seven, I went to my first game of my team and uh, that's it, been it for, for, the, for, the, for the 12, 13 years since, obviously, because I'm incredibly young. <laughs> Curiously, my mother, who also has a Harrogate town, town badge tattooed on her back, uh, so you don't know what it looks like because yeah. oh no, how often do you? <laughs> Not in, no, infrequently. Yeah. <laughs> um, the she has also kept a lot of my old school notebooks and exercise books and stuff, and she showed me one a, what, a few months ago that must have been written at a similar age, in which I also uh, described a weekend in which I had both played and watched football, uh, and I won't have been actually watching any football because there was no football on TV in the eighties, uh, in which I also went into immense detail about an imaginary game of football. What was the final score? Can you I, I can't remember, but it was it was this immense detail for like a six-year-old. Um, it was it was very difficult to to find a conclusion, so we just kept on writing chapters then, that had more goals. And then the game was over. <laughs> yes, but and what, then it was six-five. What I was going to say was there is this so this there's this idea this, now. This is the sensible point. This is the sensible what you're going to come up with. There's this idea now that that an increased driver of fans supporting teams, particularly across the world is star players. So PSG bank on signing Neymar, do they yeah. think that would attract more fans in Asia or Juve presume, base their entire policy for signing Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo on the fact that his brand is more powerful than theirs in Asia and therefore that it will attract fans. This is what made me think of it. In fact, I've remembered that in the... 35 minutes in, we In got the days after Ronaldo signed for Juve, Juve put on 4 million followers on yes. Instagram. Real Madrid lost a million, which may have been related to kind of specific Ronaldo accounts or whatever but it's a lot of people and it does suggest that there is some truth in the idea that not only can signing a player boost your following which I think is fairly self-explanatory but that that support that you get for signing a player is not necessarily sticky it does not 
linger beyond the player's career. The, the player goes, the fans go. And that's, that's a really interesting kind of dynamic. But thinking it through, how many people of our dad's generation who have a soft spot for Manchester United uh, because of the Munich air disaster, which I'm sure is totally legitimate, I'm not calling my own dad a liar, also have a soft spot for Manchester United because in the years that followed, they had George Best. And people liked watching George Best. So the fact that star names and magical players attract fans is not new. And that supporting, being drawn to George Best may well turn into Manchester United being your club for life. Although you wonder whether something has changed in the fact that with Ronaldo, it would appear that for, for a lot of people, that's not true. The other thing I was going to say was that I don't think that all of the reasons for supporting a team are purely to do with kind of location, family, star power. Because I remember in 1995, for my birthday, which is in June, both of you forgot, uh, I received... I think you'll uh, find that there was a text message on our WhatsApp group whilst you were out in Russia. You were were out of the country as you are... Every other year for your birthday. So my birthday doesn't so count. Have you been, yeah, have yeah, been speaking so to oh, Kate? Oh, yes, well, but, well, Kate thinks that. But it yeah. counted for us when we, we sent well, several text messages yeah. saying happy birthday, oh, to which you I responded I saying, you several. that's very kind, thanks. It's ve- well, it was very kind. You were a little bit dismissive, frankly. I apologise. Just because you were traversing the Mongolian border at the time <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean we didn't reach out to I you. I think I was flying to Ulan Ude. care about it. Anyway. It doesn't mean that we didn't care about it. I received an Aston Villa goalkeeper shirt for my birthday because I was a goalkeeper at that stage. Well, this birthday? No, in 1995. Because you're a big Nigel Spink fan. Because I was a big Mark Bosnich fan. Ah, and because it was a very in the, in the traditions of all 1990s goalkeeper shirts, it, there were there were a lot of colours involved in that. that <laughs> and it was massive. The, it was enormous. Uh, that was the year they won the League Cup, Villa. Ah, and uh, Ron Atkinson under big, under big Ron against Manchester United. Against Manchester United in the yes. final. Uh, and I've always thought since then, Savo Milosevic is that I, right? No, I think Milosevic arrived later. All oh, right, okay. Um, the I think he arrived in '96. Oh no, he scored in the one that uh, they beat Leeds in the final. You, do, do you know that Savo Milosevic is the source of my first ever broadcast experience? I didn't. Uh, we're putting a pin in a lot of stories here that we're going to bring back later. Do you want a d- quick tangent on no, Savo no, no, Milosevic? No, no, no. I'm just going to leave that hanging. <laughs> right, okay, um, the, um, <laughs> so I think that remind kit, Rory about Savo. <laughs> I think kits are really important. I think a lot of people are drawn to kits. I think the way that a team looks has a huge impact on how many people are inclined to support them. Badges too. Badges as well. Harrogate Town badge. Harrogate, famous badge. No, that bear on that unicorn. That's often from the Panini sticker albums. Yep. Because badges were shiny. Ah, which and brings so us in to all the other... This is the crucial thing that I, I, think, I, I think I wanted to say, I can't remember. Uh, is that all the paraphernalia, the different ways you access football, the gateway drugs, are hugely significant. Panini stickers is one, and it will have been for lots of people of our generation. Video games is how most people, most kids now, it's their first way of consuming football. That will have a massive impact on who they support. They will, they will play with teams for various reasons, but mostly because they've got good players. And they will develop an affinity and a bond with those, with those teams because of that. And that will translate into, into support. Same with social media. Same with, with all those things that we kind of think are illegitimate. And I would contend that they are legitimate. I think if you are a seven-year-old kid who plays with Barcelona because they've got Messi on FIFA and you beat all your mates on FIFA with Barcelona, that it's totally understandable that after a few years of doing that, you think, 
I really like Barcelona. And what's incredible about that is that you are playing FIFA, but you are learning about players and you are learning about more players than you would do previously. In our in our generation, it was championship manager, now football manager. That is how you would learn about players outside of your normal sphere that you could either identify on television or read about or call club call about or anything like that that, that happened in the 80s and 90s. So you are becoming also a more intelligent and learned football follower. And in doing so, surely you are as much of a legitimate fan of that as anybody who follows a team but doesn't pay any attention to them just because apparently their blood runs blue or green or white. Match attack is the the modern equivalent Mm. of the Panini sticker and it always strikes me as being a cross between the sticker and top trumps because they're the trading cards but they've got information. So the kids at school learn so much about players from those, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are, who is a good player based on the number on on their card basically and they are particularly fascinated with anybody who gets a special you know limited edition you know 100 club or man of the match or hat trick hero type of sticker those are the ones that they cover the most and those are the ones that they're sort of swapping for on on the playground so yeah I mean that's just started again for the new season and Rory has already fleeced me for several packets of match attacks not me no, 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 little Rory. Although you, you pay do, for your own, don't you? If you want to, <laughs> if you want a belated birthday present, we can stay, stay, stay <laughs> you running with the with the launch, you know, the album and the, the, the sort of introductory packs of match attacks. If you, if that's where you'd like that, to. Now, go. there's a gateway drug. I um, I I taught my niece and nephew how to play match attacks properly a couple of years ago because they they would they had them. Yeah, they just swapped them. They don't really yeah, play they, it they like top trumps no. like we would have. Done, and I sort yeah. of said that you. So they they were like, it's it's sort of he's got ninety <laughs> for speed and then then. My nephew, my nephew would go. Well, he's got 94 for strength, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa this is not how this game works." Like, you, you have to compare specific yeah, yeah. things. And then we played it properly, and then they decided their way was much more fun, <laughs> despite the fact that they play it like twice and then argue, which I believe is what children do. Oh yeah, R- Rory had. A, he's not got a goalkeeper yet for the new season cards, but he has got some sort of sheet where you can lay them out in formation. And he had a midfielder in goal because they happened to have the best defensive. Yeah, yeah. numbers and I was like I'm not quite sure that's how the system <laughs> works you don't just put some random bloke in goal that's not, not going to win you anything it's a nice idea yeah um, but th- I think that stuff like that is really important that is how people football is is difficult to attend top level football because it's expensive and tickets are rare it's expensive to watch it on television because you've got to subscribe to various things or you've got to have the technological know-how to stream it illegally effect- effectively and not everybody's family streaming is probably more popular than I think it is but or in fact I'm sure it is but not everybody's family knows how to do it not everyone's got someone who's, who knows how to work a Cody box in their family or whatever it is so I think for a lot of kids it is that the way they interact with football is FIFA it, it is Pro Evo it is Championship Football Manager it is match attacks and stuff like that and that is how they come to the game increasingly I'm pretty sure there's another way that they do that I occurred to me and I've forgotten what it is but yeah what else do you think about that? Can you remember you, you stuck a pin in something from Steve earlier on? I did. We need to take that pin out, but Steve has something well, prior to uh, the pin well, being no, that, taken it, out. It, it, t- it ties into that. A couple of things that Rory's been talking about that you know, has made me think that having said earlier that there are many different ways in which you can follow a team, we haven't quite touched upon that idea yet of the overseas, the global fan. You know, We've got quite a, a global audience, which is 
which is a great thing, but it shows you how far and wide the interest in the Premier League spreads. And I remember very recently, uh, Daniel Sturridge's equalising goal at Chelsea for Liverpool to, to earn them a one-all draw. And I saw a great video, I think it was from DC, of a Liverpool fans fan, fan club in Washington, DC, going absolutely wild as that, that shot flew into the back of the net. There's now how how often do they get the opportunity to make the pilgrimage to Anfield to support Liverpool in person? But does that make their support any less legitimate than a season ticket holder? Surely you you can only go and see your team as much as finances and access allows. But you know maybe a regular match-going fan might sneer at how much that person truly supports Liverpool if they don't haven't grown up in the vicinity of Anfield and don't go on a regular basis but they will surely those fans in DC clearly had the same passion in that moment for the equalizing goal as those 3000 who had traveled as away fans to Stamford Bridge and the other thing you mentioned earlier is about our our dad's our parents generation and how they supported teams of course the tribalism of a football fan is is a relatively new concept and there would have been a time when if you grew up in Manchester you went to watch United and City on alternate weeks likewise in Liverpool with Liverpool and Everton and perhaps you would have your support would have wavered between those two until perhaps there was a, a team that or a set of players with one club that really grabbed your attention and that's where you you ultimately settled settled with your loyalty the pin my pin is... was in the island thing with Joseph Bartomeu yes have you thought but of the second pin? No, no, no. no. My <laughs> pin is, is related to the point about overseas fans. Uh, but the thing I want to say just before that, to push up on what Steve, on Steve said in this conversational format, is that I think match-going fans do sneer at fans who don't attend. And I've always found that, to be honest, and again, we, we, as always, where, wherever the correspondence comes from, we welcome it. But I always think that's slightly ridiculous as well, because there's only 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 seats at a stadium. Yeah. You can't all go. So obviously there will be people who don't attend matches. Clearly, it's brilliant that fans want to, the, the regular attendees want to, will commit money to supporting their team. But there's plenty of other ways that fans commit money to supporting their team, whether that's a TV subscription through regular shirt, you know, through shirts, through whatever it might be, through going to watch the games wherever they they can go and watch them. There's in in Africa there are these kind of watching cafes in villages. Uh, Jonathan Wilson did a brilliant piece in the Guardian about them uh, three or four years ago that I'm going to rip off. Um, <laughs> that where they, I, I think the way it works is the cafe kind of pays for the feed, and then you go and you put in the equivalent of ten twenty p, and you watch the game. Are you telling me that people who are trekking for two or three hours across, I think it was in Ethiopia, along Ethiopian roads to watch Liverpool v Arsenal, which I think was the game John, Jonathan went to see, you tell me they're not properly supporting the club because whichever one, one of those two clubs it is, just, that sounds to me like an awful lot more effort than quite a lot of people make. And and the distance sometimes adds to the passion because you haven't been close enough to demystify yeah. uh, the players or the club. Everything becomes incredibly exciting if you very rarely get to have the opportunity to go to a Premier League game. But after a while, it does become something you probably take for granted a little bit. Yeah. So if you have none of those experiences and you genuinely have no chance of having any of those experiences, those players, and we talk about being associated with or identifying with or being a massive fan of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi and following them before mm. their teams, even though Messi hasn't left, but you will never get a chance to see those people. And if you know that you never will, they will retain their superstar status, they will be superheroes to you because there's no way that they won't be. Well, they're, because they're, they're, there's, there's no closeness that breeds the demystifying. They're almost unreal. 
that, exactly. at, at that distance they are almost unreal. But the so the thing about Bartomeu that I wanted to mention, and it's an interview in the Times by Oliver Kay, who we all know and adore. Uh, I'd recommend that you but you read it if you can. It's very interesting. It's a good interview. He's a, he, I quite like Bartomeu. He strikes me as being a, a decent sort of man. Um, I've also interviewed him for the Times. Uh, that was several years ago, before Ollie. Yes, yeah, so and nobody will know about that because no. there's no way of finding out. Fresh, no, exactly. fresh idea. Material. Well, you know, it's, a lot of journalism's plagiarism. It's fine. <laughs> um, the the um, but Bartomeu talks, and this is kind of at odds with everything we just said. So as I think it's become clear, I I don't necessarily think you should support your local team. I think there's lots of reasons why you might support a team, and I find the the tyranny of this idea to talk once again about tyranny. <laughs> Breakfast and and I don't know, like support, yeah, um, localism. Uh, I find it odd and a bit reductive. But Bartomeu talked about uh, th- the fact that La Liga want to take games abroad and they may play Girona Barcelona in Miami in January, I think. And his argument is, if there's people out there who want, in Japan and China and America and wherever, who want to watch Barcelona, then maybe occasionally they should get the chance. And I think on one level, that really appeals to me and I sort of think that makes sense but on the other level and this is the, the I'm not, I cannot unfortunately I don't I can square the circle on this and make it kind of part of my overall argument I think it might just have to be an outlier they all have leagues all those countries that Spain and England and Italy and Germany are trying to colonise in terms of the football they all have leagues those leagues should be allowed to thrive so it's all very well wanting to get as many and I think I think genuinely a lot of fans are hypocrites on this that they they want to retain their local support and their local feel while simultaneously wanting the big money signings that having loads of international fans brings they want the international fans to support them but they don't want them to have, have any access to the club and I find that slightly hypocritical but it just struck me that it's all very well saying we have lots of fans abroad we want to go and see them but there is a, a drawback to that, that globalisation of, of fandom and that ability to access Barcelona as easily as you access Vissel Kobe or whatever, in that the J-lead or the K-lead or MLS or wh- whatever lead it might be, even in South America, I think, they're all being sort of sucked dry by the, by the fact that fans can now support whoever they want, wherever in the world they want. And it just struck me as being a slightly depressing reality that, yeah, you don't have a... There's no problem with supporting Real Madrid if you live in Bournemouth or Barcelona if you live in Tokyo. That's fine. Support who you like, as long as you mean it. Support who you like would be my, the way I fall on it. But it's a, it's still a really dangerous situation because we need, and we've covered this before, football has to survive everywhere. It can't just survive in these massive citadels where we're all watching Barca and Real Madrid and Manchester United and, and Chelsea every week. It has to survive everywhere. So I would say that Within your country, you maybe should support a team. Yeah, and that's that's. I think that's the nub of the discussion up to this point, is that it's all well and good to live in Tokyo and support Liverpool, providing you're also going to watch a local team. Verdi Kawasaki. Whereas this is where I find it, it's almost like it's, it's acceptable to me to support your local team or a legacy team. Mm. And it's perfectly acceptable to support a team on the other side of the world who you might only ever go and see once in your lifetime. It's supporting a team from 200 miles away, which you have no association with, which I find the most unusual. Okay. Because you've got... Are you talking about glory hunters? Yeah. You've got... If, if you've got a short, team... Relatively short, medium distance glory hunters. That's what Steve <laughs> yes. doesn't like. If you've got a team that plays in the top flight that is more local to you, then that is the team that I think you should support. 
because you'll get the roller coaster one way or another. You might not get the glory, but you will get the thrill of supporting a team, whichever team that might be. It just differs from club to club. So yeah, I mean, this is, and we, I think we have to be slightly aware of privilege here that we are all English, so we are talking about the biggest league in the world and applying rules to people who do not live close to the Premier League so I, I don't want to say which is why I'm not applying the rules yeah, yeah, to the, yeah. over, to no, the I overseas think, fan, and yeah. I think within England that's a really interesting that, that's a quite a good way of saying it that it's it probably is slightly and I'm, but I would be guilty of this myself that if you oh no I support a legacy team it's fine that if you have you have a completely blank canvas like Hugh Ferris the blank canvas <laughs> um, completely blank and you choose to support a top flight team that is not the closest top flight team to you then I think yeah that is slightly Odd, maybe, but then perhaps understandable as well. I think in terms of overseas fans, go for Tiverton Town. I would say support. <laughs> I would say it's, it's they have as much right to support and are as true in their support as in in most cases, in a lot of cases, as local fans. But the the, the my worry with that is that you what you're going to end up with is football culture dying in the countries that that are now tuning into Barcelona and Real Madrid more and more. When in fact, there's quite a lot of reasons to go and support your local team in the J-League or in the Colombian top flight. You're, you're as well supported. You, it's okay to support Barcelona if you're from Ecuador if you also support Barcelona in Ecuador. In Ecuador. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, we're going to keep the pin in Savo for just now because as we mentioned earlier, Chinch is gallivanting. If there's even a sniff of an international break around the corner, he'll be on a plane to Portugal. It's, it's kind of like his gateway drug. Mm. I must be away. But via the extraordinary technology afforded us by a computer, a phone, and as they say in Portugal, Wi-Fi, uh, we can talk to him now. Hello, Andrew. Greetings, Podchums. <laughs> it, it must be very exciting for you to be able to talk to us at this important moment. It's got to be more exciting for you, though, to for, speak to a former England international with seven massive caps under his belt <laughs> if you put your massive caps under your belt I'm not entirely sure that would be the look that I would want so I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying your time off um, we have contacted you in order for a soccer story will you be able to furnish us with a soccer story um, yes I can yes I, I am running out of soccer stories at an alarming rate but I can I can definitely do one for you okay well in that case it's Time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Well, what I want to do is dispel this theory that maybe fans have or people that listen to our podcast is that former players, when they see a patch of grass with a couple of goals on it, they, they want to put their shorts on and put their boots on and get out there playing again. Because that is not how I feel when I see pitches or how I have the opportunity to put a pair of boots on and kick a ball again I get very worried and you know why that is because your knees will combust my knees will crumble to dust and I had to I had to Sky sent me out to do an interview recently with Barry Banan the uh, famous Sheffield Wednesday Scottish midfielder where did they send you to to do this interview I was sent out to the 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 training ground of Sheffield Wednesday of course my former stamping ground and there is a a plaque there on a treatment table with my name on it and uh, yes I had to go there in the glorious sunshine and talk to Mr Banan about his season and then discuss free kicks with him which I was clearly the master of when I was playing. So you, you you went to see him, directed by Sky, because, what, Sky thought you might be able to teach him something, or they thought that 
that Barry Banan might be able to show you how it's done? It's a, a bit of both because I had my theory which clearly worked magnificently for me in terms of taking free kicks and they wanted to know what his theory was because he'd scored, uh, scored an excellent free kick against Stoke City and um, it was basically Banan and myself chewing the fat over soccer free kick techniques but again it goes back to this thing about and they gave me a training kit. I had to wear Joey Pelopus's boots, which were the only size seven and a halves, apparently, at the training ground that would fit me because everyone else has got bigger feet than size seven and a halves, which I find ludicrous. <laughs> or no one wanted to lend me their boots, which is probably more to the point. So, you know, we're standing over these free kitties, pinging them in, and I'm saying, oh, my God, I've got to... It's 16 years since I addressed the football. I don't mean <laughs> to find a post box. I mean standing over a ball to take a free kick. And... I, I was thinking, I don't really, I don't really want to do this because there's a good chance I could cripple myself. But I, I did clip a couple of decent free kicks. But it's not something that I don't want to play football anymore. <laughs> it's is that a really terrible? You know, I'm nearly fifty now. I, I realise I had my time and it was massively successful <laughs> and I've influenced a, a huge amount of people. But. I, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be on a pitch today with a pair of boots because it's just not where I want to be. Is this a cry for help? It sounds Andrew? like it, doesn't it? Uh, it's a cry to maybe my employers to <laughs> not send me out kicking footballs. Chinch, I I do wonder whether you've you've made a, f- a fundamental misjudgment here in that you've told this to your podcast chums when really what the, what this should have been is a Twitch call to HR. Yeah, uh, but again, I. I I can't really do that, can I? I? I have to pretend that it's great and I love being back on the grass again with a pair of boots on. This is very much a coward's way out, Chinch. <laughs> no, but you hear all these stories, these pop-bellied ex-players playing all these charity matches and apparently being brilliant like they were 25 years ago. Well, playing 25 years ago terrified me. Playing now, it's just, it's not a middle-aged man's game football, isn't it? I, I don't need to be near a pitch. Chinch, do you not think that you might just be reaping what you sow a little bit, having held yourself up as something of a dead ball specialist on this podcast over the last couple of years, that maybe those uh, in influence at Sky have been paying attention and are sort of thinking you need to put your money where your mouth is? What do you mean, something of a dead ball specialist, Stephen? Something of a dead ball specialist? I was a dead ball specialist. Ask Gianfranco Zola. Ask David Beckham. <laughs> at, ask Matt Letizier. <laughs> they will tell you that I was more than just something of a free kick taker. How very dare you? What I'd actually like to know, whether you're trying to make the point that those as you mentioned and described, pot-bellied, middle-aged footballers who do continue to play the game, albeit very slowly and sometimes appallingly, are those people claiming or trying to hold on to past glories that might suggest some sort of insecurity or lack of fulfilment in their post-career lives? I don't know. They just seem to really enjoy and their faces light up when the possibility of playing for the dog and duck arises. And maybe I've never had that joy of soccer that other people do. But I'm just wondering whether I ever had it at all, which is even more worrying. <laughs> God, Chinch is unfortunately <laughs> some sort of existential crisis. Chinch, Chinch, please don't walk off the end of a cliff. It's a very nice cliff on the Algarve. I've got so much to give and that people have so much to learn from me, but I, I've got so much to learn about myself. I'm realising that now. The more podcasts I do, I'm, I'm realising there's a, a depth to me that I, I never realised. <laughs> 
Right, okay. Right, let's let's always try and end on a high. So why don't you just go and thrash it out with Zhao and see how you get on after that? All right. Um, I can do that, but then uh, yeah, that could work. That could work. I think physically sometimes then it takes the weight off the things that I think about, the dark places that I go to. But um, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll give that a try. But I, I I might need some therapy afterwards as well. Okay. What 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 slightly troubles me is that Chinch every opportunity gets uh, that he gets goes to Portugal and yet every time he goes to Portugal he considers whether life has any true worth whatsoever so perhaps Chinchy should stop going to Portugal and stay amongst your podcast chums who will keep you on an even keel but you can't train me like Joao can you? (laughs) Chinch we love you and support you really? do you mean that? are you just are you smiling at your friends because I'm not there and you think you're not really going to do that are you? no we we all mean it don't we? We we're with you we we all absolutely mean it and in those dark dark times and dark places just, just, just close your eyes Make it even darker and think of your three pod chums. You're not going to laugh as I tumble into oblivion, are you? No, we'll we'll laugh after five or ten minutes. Oh, the eulogies, though, will be lovely for me, won't they? Absolutely. Yeah, yes, we've already written ours. Uh, Chinch, have a lovely time. We will see you anon. See you guys. Bye. Well, that was a bit dark, wasn't it? It was a little bit. I worry about him sometimes. He's, he's, he's a cheery soul. We need to put out... Um a message to PC Plodrigas on the Algarve <laughs> and just if they if they spot <laughs> if they spot Chinch on the coastal road towards Sagresh you know that may be heading towards the end of the world you know that uh, we should all be getting a little bit concerned I don't know if PC Plodrigas is disrespectful <laughs> I'm wondering if it is a little but I get the impression that Steve has used it many times yeah, before and he's quite pleased with it it rolled off the tongue all a little bit easily um, but we're grateful to Andrew for um, at least before the uh, eternal peril hits him that he spent some time with us so um, Andrew we are grateful uh, for your contribution dark as it was um, we leave you with a reminder of how to get in touch at Setpiece Menu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com or facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to Steve Rory and the dark place Andy has gone to and thanks to you all for listening we'll be back with another <laughs> piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed I'm not sure I like all this all this potty mouth stuff well, you want to address I mean, I, your boss. Talk I would, to HR. I would say I swear more than both of you in in regular life. I'm when a, regular conversation? Yeah, do you think? I think I'm the sweariest do you by, think? Some, by some distance. Kate, yeah, yeah, Kate yeah. told me the other day that you were a noble soul or something. Really? Yeah. Didn't she say she he's, a, he's a noble <laughs> soul? <laughs> Again, we don't look. We're better than this. It's all right. I, I, about if I give Steve. myself editing, it's okay. Maybe. Maybe she wasn't right. No, she definitely said something about you. That's right. I said that you were a self-confessed grump. And Kate went, really? Uh, I sort of laughed. I went, yeah, Steve's grumpy. And she went, no, he's not. He's always so cheery. She was shocked. Maybe it's, maybe that's regressing. You know, when when you were a kid and when you went round to your friends' houses, you were much better behaved in front of their oh, parents yeah, 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 than you were yeah, your own. Yeah, maybe that's maybe, what it is. maybe I'm like that with other maybe people's you put on lives. A sort of a bright face yeah, with Kate. Yeah, 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 okay, that's fine. That yeah, that would be it. That sounds. A lot of my friends' wives think I'm quite charming. <laughs> And again, just, just scratch the surface, even a tiny amount. Awful. Why um, have you got the Evo stick? Because because I wanted up. to. Steve earlier contested my point that Hartley Whitney and Tiverton Town were in the same division, but I'm they are astonished. the Evo Stick League South Premier Division South, which is the uh, division above Fleet Town. Uh, we've got Weymouth, Tiverton, Hendon, Hartley Whitney, Merthyr, Taunton. How would Merthyr? Stoke, Merthyr is close to where you grew up. Oh yeah, but yeah, how would Tiverton Town get on against West Didsbury and Chilton? I mean, what was like, what tierage are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you'll have to. You Somebody have to figure that. Walton tell, Casuals, they I, sound good. I tell you what, the, the badges in the Evo State lead south are much better than the badges in the Premier League. 
And they're, they're much better than the Harrogate Town one as well, well we have ha- discovered. Harrow Borough's badge has got an actual monk on it. Uh, Bettensfield Town is some sort of mad ram. Mad ram, yeah. They're called the mad, rams, mad rams. Dorchester Town has got two kissing magpies, which I like. Go up. Oh, there's two two magpies on the Wimborne Town one as well. But they're facing away from each other, suggesting they've had some sort of row. I'm very fond of Swindon Supermarine, aren't you? Swi- the, thing, the thing about Swindon Supermarine's badge is that you can see it being used as some sort of paramilitary forces in <laughs> Sydney. But the problem with... If you're not the biggest club in Swindon, then really what are you bothering with? Weymouth is brilliant. It looks like a medieval depiction of a boat. It is a large boat, you would imagine, because Weymouth have boats. Merthyr Town's badge looks like oh, the cover of a of a sort of folk singer's heartfelt second album. Yeah, that's a very very uh, beautiful and, and slightly dramatically drawn lady. Considering I'm sat on the other side of the table to you two, I'm feeling about as involved in this conversation Ch- as Chinchin. Town have a large peacock. There's another outstanding old boat on Gosport Boroughs. It's almost like those coastal towns. Look at Salisbury. How aggressive is that? It's, yeah. like, it's like the Third Reich going on in Salisbury. I mean, well, let's leave Salz. Let's not let's not damage Salz anymore. <laughs> two, two robins at Froome Town. They're having to put on a sort of fairly uh, powerful-looking image at the moment. Yeah. Though.